This is a recording of our Easter Sunday sermon from uh, April 2019. The reading for that day was Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let us begin with a question for everyone. What is a conspiracy that you actually believe in, or that you wish was true? Think about it for a second. For me, there is this uh, NBA conspiracy, this National Basketball Association conspiracy that I don't really believe in, but I wish so much was true. In Game 1 of the 2008 NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Celtics, the Lakers were ahead and in control of the game when the Celtics star player Paul Pierce went down with a quote-unquote injury that was so severe that he had to be taken back to the locker room in a wheelchair. Now, generally speaking, athletes do not like to show weakness, right? And being carried out in a wheelchair or a stretcher is reserved only for the most severe of injuries. Everyone assumed Pierce was gravely hurt, maybe lost for the entirety of the finals. Uh, and yet, in one of the most, uh, in, in one of the worst moments of my entire life, Paul Pierce, very soon thereafter, comes running from the locker room, checks back into the game, hits a bunch of shots, and propels the Celtics to a victory and ultimately the series. Uh, I think I cried that night. The theory goes that all of this was an elaborate ruse, the injury, the wheelchair, all of that, for Pierce to exit the court, uh, not because uh, he was hurt, but because he had actually pooped himself during the game. Why else would you need a wheelchair for a injury again quote-unquote that proved to be nothing 
He asked for it because to leave in any other way would reveal the world the truth to the world, and he would forever be known as the guy who pooped his pants in the NBA Finals. I've watched frame-by-frame breakdowns uh, of this theory. Very convincing narration. And if it was... <laughs> If it was true, it would almost make uh, this moment in my life palatable. Happy Easter to you and to everyone. Christ is risen, as we like to say in the church. I started going down this black hole of conspiracy stuff, uh, theories, academic articles on the matter, sociological studies, and so on. After reading the account given in the Gospel according to Matthew, with this little detail that I must have heard before but I had forgotten about uh, recently, the priests conspire with the guards. We must cover this up. Here's some money. Go and spread the word that this guy didn't actually leave the tomb on his own accord, but that his disciples stole his body so that they could spread a falsehood on behalf of their cause. Very diabolical. I mean, you'd think that uh, these priests, after hearing the news, would be like, oh, oh uh, maybe we were we were uh, wrong. Or maybe this guy was right all along. Well, you know, where is he? I should go apologize for the whole uh, plotting his uh, murder thing. But they don't do that, right? Um, and the writer of Matthew uh, includes this story and the line um, that this story is still told among the Jews to this day. Probably because the community he was writing for, um, there were probably a lot of rumblings in that community around whether or not this conspiracy theory was actually true. At the heart of one's belief in a conspiracy lies two things. One, an explanation, right? You need an explanation of something. Um, and uh, two, the belief that the world as we are shown it is not the real deal, right? And in big and small ways, forces conspire to hide things from us uh, for their own purposes. Whether it's the embarrassment of pooping oneself or the government fearing revolt, people don't want us to know the truth, but the truth is out there that's an x-files reference if you didn't get that i think a big reason i've been into this line of thinking as i thought about easter this week is that in our post everything western society right those who confess to believe in a risen christ look a lot like message board message board fanatics swapping abduction stories and ufo sightings ufologists these people i learned are are called I remember as a young kid watching an episode of Jerry Springer, maybe it was Maury Povich, I'm not exactly sure, Ricky Lake, who knows, in which people shared abduction stories aided by drawn visuals uh, that scared the hell out of me, right? In the eyes and ire of all these scientists, psychologists, historians, all these people who, who find these uh, accounts, these ufologists, um, to be delusional, right? Or fooling themselves, or, or just straight liars, would turn their eyes with frightening speed to the one who says they believe this resurrection story to be true. And in many ways, I don't blame them, rightfully so. In fact, the disciples hatching their own plot to fool people is a much more believable theory. The grand conspiracy of Christianity, if that were the case. To believe in the bodily resurrection is an almost impossible task. We've said this uh, every Easter we've ever had a root and branch, right? Straight up, this is weird. This is a hard uh, thing to swallow. It's a stumbling block, to use that classic uh, biblical term. Loving one another and the lessons we learn from stories and all that stuff, uh, we can get behind. But, you know, this thing with the body getting out of the tomb, you know, maybe 
we can sweep it under the rug a bit and bring it out maybe once a year because we have to but even as weird as it is today it was perhaps just as weird for this little band of outsider nobodies we read up we read about in this story right which leads me to ask was christianity birth by a bunch of conspiracy theorists indulge me and let's examine that together for a second the research that highlights the particular traits of people prone to conspiracy beliefs could also describe the people in our resurrection story quite well for example conspiracy beliefs are associated with the less educated and the poor that describes jesus's motley crew of disciples quite well they are often uh, societal outsiders people with low social political power ethnic minorities and minority groups in general with negative attitudes towards authority so then you have a subsect of jews right disciples a minority within a minority group living under roman empire check 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 uh, conspiracy theories are for losers, says the political scientist Joseph Uzinski, by which he means losers within the power structures of culture and society, right? Not in the uh, high school uh, mean girls sense, right? Losers is a good term to describe these people who had given their lives over to a movement which had been completely decimated now and which culminated in the very public execution of the movement's leader. Given this situation, it would make sense that the followers of Jesus would exhibit the archetypal personality traits of conspiracy believers, fear and anxiety, right? People who find themselves in threatening situations with a deep sense of lacking control over them. An academic article on this subject entitled A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Psychological Research on Conspiracy Beliefs, long title, sums it all up nicely like this. Conspiracies appear to appeal to those who feel disconnected from society, who are unhappy or dissatisfied with their circumstances, who possess a subjective worldview that includes unusual beliefs, experiences, and thoughts, and do not feel in control of their life. The endorsement of conspiracies challenges existing power structures in society. End of quote. Uh, wow. I... <laughs> You know, I sort of embarked on this um, line of questioning about conspiracies and so forth because it was mostly funny to me and a little bit interesting. But if you actually just replace conspiracy theorists in that quote with follower of Jesus in 33 AD, uh, you'd hardly have to change any other words. And this is not just an apt description for followers of Jesus in his time, but as we need to continually remind ourselves, the beating heart of this gospel message is and has always been uh, deeply subversive that is what makes the gospel the good news for those who feel alienated powerless right christianity is an instruction manual for rebellion for all the outsiders and losers and in my opinion anyone who has cared to take a good look at the world around them has felt that way at some point or another some circumstances bring it to light more forcefully than others right that's an understatement but nevertheless we have all felt this way and with some empathy, perhaps we can remove the glasses through which we see people who believe things we deem completely improbable as merely crazy. But here is where we must split ways, part ways with our downtrodden uh, conspiracy siblings. Because there is in fact a fundamental difference between those who confessed uh, to witness the risen God and those who see the world through schemes and plots. The goal, again, and the orientation of the conspiracy theorist is certainty, right? 
Let's keep in mind the heart of a, a conspiracy theory, right? A search for an explanation and a belief that the truth has been hidden from us. Unveil it and there you go. Certainty is there for you based on the knowledge, uh, based on knowledge that is, uh, in a sense, of propositional statements, things that one can prove or disprove. Conspiracy theorists seek to know the world in such a way that this thing happened and this thing didn't. That might sound to us at first glance like the aim of religion and more specifically faith, but that would be a fundamental misunderstanding. One that uh, has bedeviled the church for uh, much of its history, right? As I was reminded in a conversation on this topic recently with a friend of mine, the orientation and the goal of, Christ of the Christian is not a quest for facts right, or certainty. To be Christian is in some ways to be ignorant ignorant to how it is possible that a body could rise again that death could be overcome ignorant to the ways of god i don't mean here ignorant like denying climate change or that sort of willful ignorant willful ignorance rather we step to the edge where reason cannot follow when you are confronted with something you cannot understand that which makes no sense that you cannot fathom or imagine or comprehend right stepping to the edge of that place Christianity is not about certainty, it is about faith, and faith does not come from knowledge that emerges out of a shroud of misinformation. One does not assent to faith through a certain set of beliefs, right? It's like, it's not where you just be like, uh, okay, I know this thing, and now I know this thing, and now I know this thing, and okay, I have faith. Again, the temptation here is always to stay within the realm of certainty and propositions. That is to see this description of faith as something like choosing to know about one set of things instead of another. But faith is a relationship between the one who has faith and the thing she has faith in. In this way, it's more like love than it is belief. If you've ever had the experience of telling a romantic partner you love them for the first time, you know this feeling of being hurled through the air, right? The famous leap of faith is a real one, but the one who jumps, jumps because they are called. One is grasped by faith, like a siren song pulling you to the edge of the cliff. To have faith, to answer the call, is to not be convinced, but to trust. To trust. And there it is, right? Our idea for this Easter, trust is not about certainty. There is no need to trust if you were certain. Faith is to leap out into the void, trusting that you will be caught. Which begs the question, of course, trust in what? Trust in who? How about we start with the witness and testimony of two loser women in the garden who were afraid yet filled with joy when they heard the news? The witness and testimony of a bunch of loser disciples who went on to form the church. This is why we say time and time again that Christianity is and remains a tradition of testimony more than it will ever be about rules and dogma. To have faith is to trust in the account of a community. The stories of people changed by what they experienced. A reminder for us today to trust one another, to listen to each other's testimonies, to catch one another when we take risks. But not everyone who experiences the same thing goes on to become a witness. There is another level of trust involved, one that is a bit more difficult to articulate. But the best way I can think of to talk about it is to, to talk about it as a promise 
or a covenant if you prefer that traditional language. Right? One trusts a promise made by God, a promise articulated in this person who claimed to be God incarnate, who died and rose again, maybe. Right? A promise about what really matters and who really matters, a promise about life and about death. A promise that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord that is a quote from Paul in one of uh, his best moments right? The losers who gave testimony that Easter morning trusted this promise so much that they saw a resurrected body. As the story tells us, not everyone had such trust. Not everyone who looked actually saw. Before it all went down, Judas lost trust and he betrayed the Lord. At the end of the story, we read that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Judas, you know, his actions make some sense. But these some, how could you see this risen body and still doubt? Just the same as we asked how the priest could hear such news and their first response is to conspire. Two years ago on Easter, I asked uh, how we might come to trust the testimony of others in a time of fake news. In a world where every crazy video I see, I have to scroll through the comments to see if it's, uh, it's fake. It may seem as though we live in a particular moment of suspicion, but conspiracies have been around since the dawn of scheming human beings. And it has always, in the same way, been difficult to have faith, to have trust. I know it's hard for a lot of us in this community. At the risk of belaboring the point, I don't mean that uh, it is hard for us to trust some old religion thing, right, that is um, hard for us to understand and seems highly problematic at times and so forth. I just mean that it's simply hard for us to trust, to trust others, to be vulnerable enough to believe in promises but today on this Easter uh, Sunday it's a day where we might have some hope and have some faith um, make an attempt to step out and trust again to explore a promise we might have forgotten or one that we felt was broken or decided would not be kept in the end Maybe we can be encouraged by the testimony of someone like Mary, a loser, an outsider, consumed by grief. Mary held on to a promise she had once heard, that she allowed to take root somewhere deep inside of herself. It was not a thing for her to know, but a thing for her to jump into, to trust, and to bring to life. Remember this today, my concluding thought for all of us this Easter. Let us see that resurrection is not a conspiracy to uncover, but a reality to trust in. Resurrection is God saying to us, do you trust me? Amen.